The three main levers in the replaceable founder methodology are communicate effectively, manage projects, and perfect processes. And we always start with communicate effectively. And each of these levers breaks down into three subtopics. And in communicate effectively, those are namely the three decisions, asynchronous communication, and the six levels of delegation. Now, why is communication the most important thing? Or at least, why is it the place that we start most often? The reason is simple. After working with thousands of individuals over the last decade and hundreds of different companies, I can confidently say that 80% or more of the problems that we see with businesses in terms of their productivity, their ability to grow and scale, and many others all come back to communication. And communicating effectively is not just about the words you use. In, in fact, it, it's, it's hardly about the words you use. That's got a place and that's important. And there are plenty of people far better than me at teaching about the right words to use. The way that the levers break down in those three subtopics in each of the different levers is effectively the thing that the founder or the CEO or whatever has to do. Then there's the thing that the team needs to get on board with, basically. And then there's the thing that integrates the two. So in this case, the three decisions is really about the individual, really about the head honcho, whoever that might be. And ultimately, it trickles down to everybody else, but it really is a thing that you do for yourself. The second one of asynchronous communication is where you start to really interact with others back and forth. And the third one about the six levels of delegation really ties it all together and makes you into a cohesive unit. So let's talk about the three decisions. And I want to use that in the context of further explaining why communication is so important. Ultimately, our ability to communicate effectively is what is going to allow you to become as replaceable as possible, right? Because if you think about it, if you can convey your ideas in an appropriate manner, and what I mean by that is in a way that somebody can take it and run with it and not have to get their hand held by you every step of the way and not create a result that was different than the one that you had originally envisioned, through the process, anything is possible. And if you don't do that, very little is possible. The idea of communication and project management and perfecting processes, the, the idea of those three being levers is a really important sort of visual in that small hinges swing big doors. And these levers are incredibly powerful. So communicate effectively, 
starting off with the three decisions, which is your thing. This is about you. Nobody else, not the team. This is about you. And why is decisions, why are decisions the most important thing in my mind in terms of communication? Because being a decisive decision maker, being an effective decision maker, which by the way, doesn't mean that you're always making the right decision because there may not be a right decision in certain situations, but I can tell you something for sure. No decision is almost always the wrong decision. And that's what we see far too often. So this is kind of a meaty topic because there's so much science. There's so many philosophies. There's so many ideas that go into decision-making in general. You have neuroscience, you have decision, literally you have decision science. Something that President Obama referred to when making the decision to raid Osama bin Laden's uh, compound. He referred to decision science. But the truth is, is that so many of us are not effective decision makers and we don't even realize it because it's something that we take for granted. Every one of you makes a thousand or more decisions in a given day. And you just assume that you're good at it because you do it. You've been making decisions your whole life. But 99% of us don't use a framework for making those decisions. So when it actually comes to the important decisions, we don't have anything to fall back on. We don't have any sort of internal compass. And if you really dig deep and look at the way that you make decisions throughout the day, I would bet you, any one of you, that you spend more time on the small decisions than you do on the big ones. And if you don't believe me, think about this example. For anybody listening who is married or has children, how many of you, and I'm sure that there are some, but realistically, how many of you ever sat down and made a list of pros and cons to marrying a particular person or to having kids before you actually went ahead with that decision? Probably very, very few of you. Now, the same people that didn't make that list didn't sit down and really go through a decision-making framework or process when they were making these huge life decisions such as marriage or childbearing. How many of you sit on the couch for 10 to 15 minutes choosing the right thing to watch on Netflix? Right? <laughs> so you're making decisions all day long. And when it really comes down to it, do you honestly believe that you have a framework? And just for some historical context, I think one of the coolest frameworks I've ever heard of, and I have heard of a lot, was from Herodotus, the Persian philosopher, who basically said you needed to make a decision in two minds, once while you were drunk and once while you were not. And if the two decisions matched up, you can go forward. So there's something to that, though. And understanding how your brain works, understanding that there are going to be different mindsets. 
for you to make decisions. And there are going to be certain times when you should be making big decisions and certain times when you shouldn't. And if you have the luxury of listening to two different trains of thought about the same decision, then you're very lucky. And you'll see when I discuss the external brain, I talk about this concept of the different kind of mindsets when you're capturing an idea and sorting the idea and actually executing upon the idea and spacing those out is extremely powerful. So with that, I have a framework to share. And it's called the three decisions. And it's very simple, but it is the framework that you need in the first encounter you will have with any decision you may come across. And there's only three decisions. Now, the interesting thing here is that most people end up going through 20, 30, 40, 100 iterations of any decision they might be encountered with, they might encounter without realizing that if you just sat back for a minute and looked at the decisions that you ultimately like, you probably don't make more than three to five decisions or you know, possible outcomes in your initial interaction. Now, of course, if you're being asked, do you like the red paint or the blue paint, right? Or do you like this logo or these 15 logos? That is a more complex decision, more detailed. I'm talking about the first time you are presented with the opportunity to make a decision about that thing. In that situation, I want you to think that you have three choices and three only. The three Ds. Now, originally, when I came up with this framework, it was used as a method to achieve inbox zero, and it is as valid today as it was 10 years ago. But ultimately, it became a framework for decision-making in general, and the reason that email was such a great example is that if you think about it, email is, if not the only, one of the only opportunities you have in any given day to make thousands of decisions. Right? We just don't really have that in any other situation. And if you look at the research, it says that basically human beings are good for about 24 decisions in a given day, which most of you are making before you get out of bed in the morning, especially if you're on a dating app. So the first D is delete. Remember, again, this is about email originally. But delete can be replaced with decline, deny just say no, right? Because ultimately, no matter what stage you're at, yes got you to where you are, but no will get you to where you need to go. It's so easy to say yes and make that future self's problem. It's harder to some extent to say no, unless you say to yourself, look, I'm gonna say no if it is not the right opportunity for me or it's not the right time, or it doesn't ultimately serve my mission if you are so lucky as to know what that mission is. So we say no. And there are a thousand different ways to say no, but really we need to say no. The second D is deal with it. And that means deal with it right now. And now, the concept that this overcomes is really interesting because it's incredibly self-sabotaging and self-defeating because the person that can deal with something right now but decides not to deal with it right now is the person who says things like, 
oh, I'll get to it later. Oh, it'll only take me a minute. I'll deal with it then. Or, yeah, 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 just, you know, put it on top of the pile. I'll get to it. I don't know what world we grew up in that we felt like future self is not our self and that's not our problem. And what is this magical land you all live in where later in the day there's a period of time where nobody's bothering you and everyone's leaving you alone and you're fresh and you can deal with things and you're motivated. Certainly not in my house at five o'clock at night when people are hungry and getting home from school. And we just have to get through that sometimes. Is that later when I'm going to deal with it? No. Later is ambiguous. Later is procrastination. Later is fear. If you can deal with something right now, and I mean in the next two to three minutes, and it's not going to require a huge mental shift, then deal with it right now. Not only will you get the wonderful dopamine hit, of merely realizing that you accomplished something. But more importantly, you will avoid something that many leaders, managers, supervisors are guilty of. And it is an incredibly insidious, selfish, and destructive behavior. And that is holding other people up. Right, so if somebody needs you to do something, like make a decision, and you say, I will deal with it later, and you delay in making that decision for even an hour, preventing that person from doing potentially an hour's worth of work, you'll find yourself shocked when a two weeks later, a deadline gets missed and nobody knows why. Dealing with it later is the equivalent of burying your head in the sand, except in this case, your responsibility was to feed everybody else around you, and you decided to put your head in the sand. And while it may sound like I'm being extreme about this, if you are guilty of this, and, and you may be guilty of it in the past, but if you continue in this behavior where you delay in making a decision that potentially holds up somebody else from doing their work, shame on you. Terrible leadership. Now, dealing with it could include delegating. It's sort of a little subset D, but I count it in there. Because if you delegate effectively, and meaning you're giving somebody all the information that they need to get the job done, you're conveying what success looks like, they have the proper resources to do the thing you need them to do, then you can do that very quickly. And in that moment, you are done. You have accomplished everything that you can possibly accomplish with that task because there is nothing else for you to do until that person comes back to you with completion or some unforeseen issue. The third D is the most fascinating, and that is to defer, not procrastinate, which is a fear-based activity, but to defer, which is an owner activity. So if you can't say no, because it has to get done, and you can't deal with it right now, including delegating it, then you need to defer it to a time that you can more effectively make that decision. And you can think about this time as the time that you're making the decision drunk. 
and you're deferring it to the time that you can make the decision sober. If you were out at a bar and just drunk enough that you knew that you were not in the right headspace and somebody asked you a really important thing, hopefully you'd be aware enough to say, hey, look, let me look, let me think about this tomorrow and I will get back to you before breakfast and then you do it. Hopefully you wouldn't be like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go for it. I'm sure that's what normally happens with any people, but hopefully you wouldn't. And deferring is all about timing. I've talked at length about the concept of peak time and how there's this 90 minute period in the day where you're two to 100 times more effective than any other time of the day. And then from that, once you determine what that is, you can figure out all sorts of other timings for things beyond that. And the example I always like to give is that I have a lot of trouble doing creative work before seven o'clock at night. I'm not great on the phone before noon. I don't know why, but it's just something I've learned about myself. So you do your best to own your schedule and own your time and defer those activities to the right times. So it is not saying, I'll get to it tomorrow. It's saying, I will handle this at 10 o'clock on Thursday morning. Put it in your calendar. Use a tool to remind yourself at that time. Tell an assistant to remind you at that time. But most importantly, get it out of your sight. If it's an email, snooze it. If it's a person making a request, ask them to come back at that time. And practice out of sight, out of mind. You've made the decision that you're going to appropriately deal with it, which could involve making a more complex decision, of course, like the room color example or the logo design. But now is not the right time. And the people that you work with need to understand that you're not procrastinating. You're giving them the best of you. You're identifying that you will make a better decision the more correct decision, the more effective decision, hopefully the more helpful decision at that time. So would they rather you make a hasty decision now or the right decision at a later date that you have specifically identified? And I can't stress that enough because I used to work in construction. My, whole, my background was originally in actual construction, hands-on construction. And I would always tell contractors and subcontractors and people that would work with me, I don't care if this job's going to take three times longer than I want it to take or you tell me it's going to take right now. I just want you to be accurate. So don't tell me it's going to take two days and then it ends up taking five days. Tell me it's going to take five days. I can grumble about it if I want right now, but if you stick to that time, then I can plan accordingly. It was the same thing when you, when you had to order materials that were very special materials and could take 12, 16, 20 weeks to get. As long as they were accurate, and surprisingly, oftentimes they were, in my experience, then you plan accordingly. But what you don't want is for somebody to tell you, I'll get to it later, or I'll get to it at this time, and be inaccurate. So you need to have a reputation 
and establish a reputation of consistency. And people need to know that when you say, I will handle this at 10 a.m. on Thursday morning, that that's what's actually going to happen. And those three Ds, those three decisions, are the only three decisions you need in your initial interaction with any possible decision. And you will find that if you stick with that framework, you will never get distracted again. Because it doesn't matter what you're doing at that point. If somebody comes to you with a big decision, a small decision, whatever, and you have one of three choices, and then you move on, or you go back to what you were doing, it's one of the best ways to avoid decision to uh, sorry avoid distractions. Enable people to do what they need to do, and let you focus on what really matters.